Good morning. It's a joy to be here then. I want to say thank you to Jessica and the team for um, their hospitality. And uh, I want to say thank you to Jonathan. Um, I knew Jonathan as JP, so it's fun now. He is Dr. Powers, so, um, so it is, this is, there's a lot's happened. It's fun. And we did have great hair in those days, so, um, so it is a privilege to be here. Um, again, my name is Billy. My wife is Joanna, and we've got five kiddos. Um, we've had the privilege of living and working in Uganda, and uh, we were involved in theological education, uh, more in a non-formal sector. Um, we did pastoral training, and, and we were training disciple makers, um, primarily in northern Uganda, but then we got to be involved kind of alongside the church in, in uh, other parts of the country, and we got to work some in South Sudan, which was a real privilege. Um, and it's interesting, the majority world is on my heart this morning, and uh, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what experience or opportunities you've had alongside the majority world, um, specifically the church in the majority world, but I would, I just, I, I don't know how to say it, but I would just say, remember the majority world church, and I don't even know exactly what all that means for you, um, but they don't need you and I to go and do mission for them, or to them, heaven forbid. But they are on mission, and they'd love for men and women, just like yourself from Asbury, who would be willing to say, what could I do to help? What could I learn from you? In what way could we contribute that actually would serve the mission that you're already about? You say, well, Billy, I'm not called to missions. That's, uh, that's not for me. I'm in a different program. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. You're headed back to lower Alabama, your home church, your home denomination. But could I ask you something? What if you were to go back there and make your home church the most mission-minded church in your region, your conference, your district? Send more missionaries from your church than any other church in your district. And don't leave the leading of the mission trips to your youth pastor. You take up the mantle and lead the way. Because you're saying, we want to come alongside men and women among the majority world and say, what can we do to serve you? What do you need from us? And how can we be a part of probing, pushing the kingdom boundaries for God? And I got one more thought. There's some of you who are saying, oh, I'm still kind of waiting on God, kind of wondering what my ministry is or where I'm headed next. You know, most of us are in ministry 30 to 40 years, average. What if you were to tithe? What if you were to give a tithe of your ministry career to the majority world church? Just say, first four years out of Asbury, I'm going to spend working multicultural, cross-cultural, in a context not my home culture. It'll be the hardest thing you ever do. It'll, there'll be all kinds of challenges. It's super expensive. It's always inconvenient. I don't think you'll ever regret it. And if you spend the rest of your 36 years in one church or in one denomination, you'll be that much richer and you'll have more to offer the men and women there. And you'll be able to carry your majority world brothers and sisters in prayer in a way you never would otherwise. So I just challenge you this morning, don't forget the majority world church. And all of your getting, remember them. 
And in some ways, that's on my heart this morning, is as we're in the Lenten season, we're in a season of kind of self-reflection. And uh, one of the questions I have for us is, what does it mean to love our neighbor? And specifically, I'd like to come at that from the, the issue of communication. You say, Billy, what do you mean by that? Well, let me say it this way. Jesus is the master communicator. If we're in the business during this season of aligning our lives with who he is, and we're in the business of trying to learn how to communicate the gospel better to a lost and dying world, then I think it's well worth our time and energy to say, how did Jesus communicate, and am I doing it the way he did it? the way he's still doing it. I'd like to look at a familiar passage. And this is one that I think many of us will be aware of, but it's one I'd like to kind of pick up this lens, if you will, coming at it from this communication perspective, almost as a case study. How does Jesus communicate? And what can we learn? Now, by way of introduction, you need to know that there was a group of people in Jesus' day, that his own people, the Jews, hated. You know them well, the Samaritans. But with that in mind, this is a true story, and it comes from God's Word, and it goes like this. A certain lawyer stood up to test Jesus, and he said to him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied and said, What does the law say? How do you read it? And the lawyer responded and said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, You've answered well. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, <laughs> wanting to justify himself, asked, Who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered, there was a certain man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He fell into the hands of thieves, and they beat him, stripped him, and left him for dead. Now it happened that there was a priest traveling that way, and when he came to the place where the man was, he passed by on the other side of the road. Likewise, a Levite, he too came to the place, and he also passed by. Now it was, there was a Samaritan. And when he came to the place, he saw the man, and his heart was filled with compassion. And he went to the man and began to bandage his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set the man on his own animal and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next morning, he gave the innkeeper two silver coins and said, look after him, and if it requires more than this, I will repay when I return. And Jesus asked, who was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of thieves? And the lawyer responded and said, the one who showed compassion upon him. And Jesus answered, go and do likewise. That's the end of our story. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Would you close in a word of prayer? Or would you bow in a word of prayer? Don't close yet. Bow. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you for these men and women. 
All of us have other things on our hearts and minds. Jesus, if you don't come to these few moments, then they won't be worthwhile. But if you're here, then it will be worthwhile. And there'll be reason for our having gathered. And it'll give us a strength to go about the decisions we're facing even in the next hour. So could you speak to us from your word? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Men and women, that's a good story. <laughs> At so many levels. At so many levels. Notice what Jesus, and I think this is kind of where the case study begins. How does Jesus handle this guy? You have a lawyer. Somebody who's well-trained, who stands up, and notice what the text says, he stands up to test Jesus. So right away, the atmosphere is kind of charged. This is an adversarial conversation at some level, which you can't help but just kind of wonder, ooh, how's Jesus going to handle this? And then notice, notice the question. Notice the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You can make an argument that question is at the heart of what theological education is all about. You can make a second argument there's an echo of that question in every human heart in the world today. So suddenly we kind of want to, you know, draw our chairs in a little bit closer and say, oh, how's Jesus going to handle this? You can imagine the disciples say, oh, this is going to be fun. I mean, you don't get a more soft pitch tossed to Jesus than that. So how do I get saved? I mean, it's kind of like, oh, baby, watch him go. But watch how he handles the end, how he answers the man. I think this is fascinating. Look at it from a communication perspective. On the one hand, he could have gotten defensive. You know, don't, don't get an attitude with me. On the other hand, he could have gone to pride. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> he doesn't offer for, he doesn't go to defense, self-protection, or pride. Instead, what does he do? Is he asks the man questions in response. Which what that does is it creates a, a dialogical space where a conversation can happen. This isn't a one-way communication. This isn't Jesus giving a monologue on salvation. Suddenly, by Jesus inviting the man into dialogue, there is a space for things to go further, for a, for a discussion to happen between Jesus and the lawyer. Not only did that, but then notice what else he does. He goes right to where the lawyer is comfortable, what he's most familiar with. What does the law say? How do you read it? You've got a highly educated man. You've got a guy that's good at what he does. And I think we could probably interpret read in a very general sense, but at least in a very literal sense. It's like, how do you understand Torah? I think Jesus, there's something winsome about him here. It's like he's being like, oh, good question. Let's talk about that. And notice the lawyer chooses to engage. He steps into the conversation. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in some ways, that's fascinating in of itself. 
He takes the five books of Moses. He takes all of Torah, and he boils it down to what? Two propositions. Love God with all, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Now, what's more startling is Jesus' response. Jesus affirms the truthfulness of what he says. You've answered well. And then, and then he affirms the sufficiency. Do this, and you will live. Full stop. Uh, next question. What? That's it? I mean, imagine this incredible opportunity for Jesus to kind of pontificate on the nature of salvation and how you and I experience love God, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm kind of done with that. Let's go on to the next thing. It's unbelievable. Jesus doesn't feel the need to add to. I mean, that right there undoes me. I add to everything. <laughs> it's curious, though, because the man's just been given the answer to his question in two neat propositional statements. And yet there is something in the lawyer's heart that's not satisfied. And men and women, I believe this is where things get interesting particularly in a theological education environment. Because there are some experiences, some questions raised through our human experiences for which propositional answers don't satisfy. We need something more. We wish we knew more of what it means wanting to justify himself. But at least what we know is he wanted more. He wasn't satisfied with Jesus' two-propositional answer or the answer he gave Jesus. And this is where Jesus makes an amazing pivot. So far, the conversation has been here at kind of this very rational, kind of propositional, how do, what does the law say, literate based on that kind of plane or register? But at this point, notice what Jesus does. He pivots in the way he's engaging, the way he's communicating with this lawyer. He doesn't give him a technical definition, a propositional definition. Well, neighbor is someone who lives in close proximity to. That's not where he goes. Instead, he turns to do what? There was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he fell into the hands of thieves and they beat him, stripped him and left him for dead. And he goes on with a story. I'm fascinated by that. It's interesting, you've got the whole Torah, all of the gospel of the Old Testament summarized in two propositions, and what does Jesus do? As a master communicator, he narrativizes it. He narrativizes the two propositions. Summarizing Torah. You have to say, well, why would he do that? What is it about story or narrative that carries that kind of weight? Right, we could spend some time talking about that. I want to say, suggest one of the things that story does for us is it moves the conversation from here to here. In a sense, it shifts the, the, the focus, so to speak, or the center from information 
to transformation. It's not disconnecting, but we experience it in a much different way. You say, Billy, what do you mean? Well, notice as, we're, if, as Jesus is telling the story, there's this man who's on a journey who's assaulted. He's shamefully exposed and left for dead. He's beaten. And I'm curious, in the story, what do you hear? What do you sense? It's a hot desert road, a steep descent from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you've got a naked man on the side of the path. Is that blood or sweat? Would you prefer water or shade? Now suddenly we're in the story in a way, we're engaged in the discussion in a way that we may not have entered into otherwise. But it's not only that story engages our bodies, but what else does it do? There's a multifaceted nature to narrative that I think sometimes gets overlooked. You say, well, Billy, what do you mean? Well, in some ways, the story, this account right here, is just Jesus telling the the lawyer how to love his neighbor. We should do likewise. 100% right there. But we can look at it a slightly different way. What is the story about? The story is about a man who is in need of love and care. And he can't provide it on his own. What's actually happening in the wider story we've discussed is you have a lawyer who is in need of love and care. So while Jesus is telling the man a story about a good Samaritan loving a man in need, Jesus is actually doing what? He himself is loving a man in need. Are you with me? Well, we could pause there, or perhaps we could keep going. See, it's interesting. Notice the sufficiency that the Good Samaritan provides, the commitment that he gives to trying to see the full restoration of the man who's beaten up. He gives of of his time, his attention, his energy, his resources, his money. Finally, at the end, he gives his name. That one? I'm good for him. Whatever it costs, I want to see him fully restored. You say, now wait a second. (laughs) I've heard that before. You mean the guy that got assaulted, the guy that was dead, he actually had no way to pay back the Good Samaritan, and yet the Good Samaritan was willing to give whatever it took to rescue that one? Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. I've heard that story before. Oh, wait, that's the gospel. Jesus holds nothing back. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the radical other that has traveled our path and has given all that he has for our restoration. Men and women, that's what Jesus wants to offer to us this morning. He wants to offer us our full restoration, whatever it costs. He's all in for the likes of you and me. And not just for you and I, but for a lost and dying world. 
I think story helps us get at some of that. But I want to suggest there's another way we could look at this. Now you bear with me, see if this flushes out. Jesus tells a story about a man who left Jerusalem and took the way of descent and was physically assaulted and then shamefully exposed. You say, oh wait, wait. The reason he can identify so well with me broken and beaten on the side of the road is because he himself was broken and beaten on the side of the road. Men and women, I don't know where your brokenness is this morning, but there's no amount of brokenness that you've endured, no amount of shameful exposure that you've endured that Jesus cannot identify with. He's not only the good Samaritan, he's the one who's been shamefully tossed to the side. Is that your story? Because Jesus wants to meet you there. And many women, I want to suggest propositions can't do that. Now there's a place for them. And some of you are thinking, oh, Billy, is this an either-or thing? Either I tell stories like that and I narrativize everything, or I do propositions. No. That's not what Jesus does. We're looking at Jesus as the master communicator. He brings this integrated approach to try and say, what must I do to engage this man wherever he's at? What's fascinating is he can operate this way, and in mid-conversation, he can pivot and realize, oh, I need to shift from this to that so that I can love my neighbor. Men and women, I want to ask you this morning, how's that going? How's that going? Are you and I loving our neighbor in the way we communicate to them? What would it look like for us this Lenten season to acknowledge this is kind of my means, my preferred way of engaging with people, whatever that is. And yet I'm willing to step out of that as an act of love so that I can share not how I prefer, but how someone else prefers. say, well, Billy, what's that look like? Again, I don't think this is the kind of thing where it's like, oh, this is my preferred way of communicating, and I have to give that up forever. No, no, no. Just what would it look like for me to try something new this Lenten season? I got a friend, he teaches at a Bible college in Thailand. And he said, Billy, one of the funnest things I get to do every Lenten season, he said, I've got about 12 uh, stories from Passion Week. And he said, oftentimes with my students, he said, uh, he said, I'll just string those together and tell them one after another, after another, after another. Now, this guy's good. He tells them in Thai. <laughs> I don't speak Thai. But he said, most people have never experienced something like now, you and I may not be able to learn 12 stories from the, passion, the week of Passion, from Jesus' Passion Week. 
But maybe this Lenten season, Jesus is saying, what if you just learned one? What if there was a particular passage? And you just said, that's the one I want to work on so I can have it in my heart pocket. And when the time comes, I have it to offer to someone as a way, an act of loving my neighbor. I've got another friend. His name's John. He's done trainings all over the world. He said, Billy, it's shocking to me that you, he says, it's amazing to me, you can graduate seminary and not know the parables of Jesus. I mean, it'd be awkward, I think, for all of us if we had to acknowledge how many parables of Jesus we could tell. Not the general like, oh yeah, there's some seed sown or there's a treasure lost, but actually without, without losing any of the detail from Scripture. Uh, it's real uncomfortable. Maybe that's what God's inviting you to saying, this is how I've tended to communicate. I've tended to engage people in these ways. This is what I've been trained in. This is what I know and feel most comfortable. And Jesus is wanting to slightly, ever so gently upset us. He's wanting to disrupt our communication patterns, not because he's frustrated or not because he's trying to shame us or not because we're even doing anything wrong, but because he says, for the sake of someone else, would you be willing to try a different way of communicating? Would you be willing to try something you haven't done before so that they can experience what I'm trying to do in their lives just like you've experienced it? And I wonder if for some of us, it's going to require us to step out of our communication patterns and preferences, that which we've been trained in, and step into areas that feel very uncomfortable. Now, some of you are saying, Bill, that's not for me. I don't know quite what that means, but I've, I've kind of developed kind of my pattern, my approach, and uh, maybe that's for other generations or other groups, but I've kind of got my go-to. If I may, it's interesting, there's two characters in the story we haven't talked about. The theologically educated, trained professionals. The Levite and the priest. And guess what? They were the two in the story that were unwilling to interrupt their daily activities, their normal patterns of life to bother engaging with their neighbor. You and I want to make different choices. You and I want to make different choices. The story ends. And Jesus says, you know, he asks him, so who is a neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who had mercy. And then there's that incredible line, go and do likewise. Now, we always interpret that as go and be a neighbor. But what has Jesus just gotten done doing? He just got done telling a story. What if the invitation for us was go and do likewise? What if we got better at communicating the stories of Scripture not in opposition to other ways of communicating, but because we want to be a part of trying to move the conversation, not just from here, 
but to hear. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me? And Jesus, how do we communicate your love, your word to a lost and dying world? Ultimately, we want to do it more like you. What does that look like today? And that's going to be different for every one of us. But Jesus, we want to give you our communication patterns this Lenten season. We give you permission to disrupt kind of our go-tos. Jesus, if there's new things you're inviting us to try, Yes, we say yes to those here this morning. We want to say thank you for your word. We want to say thank you that you can identify with us on the side of the road. And yet you also are the good Samaritan who has come to rescue us. We bask in that this morning and say thank you. Help us respond to go and do likewise in ways that are appropriate for each one of our situations and circumstances. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.